Uh, we're going to start our reading um, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. And we're going to be reading through to chapter 4, verse 1. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. This is Paul speaking. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Amen. Thanks, Wendy. And uh, really handy to keep your Bible open here and the book of Philippians. Uh, by the end of today, we will be into chapter 4 uh, of Philippians. And as Philippians gets closer to the end, so does my time <laughs> uh, here as well. Uh, so yeah, so we're basically going to be trying to wrap this book up uh, over the next few weeks uh, as well. Good to keep your Bible open here today. We're going to be looking at some of the particular words that we have in this passage, some of the phrases. Uh, there are sermon outlines that you got on your way in at the welcome desk, hopefully, or you can go and grab one now as well. Before we dive in, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can <clears throat> have your word. And we thank you that we have so much freedom uh, to own Bibles and to read the Bible and to hear it uh, preached. Um, help us to make the most of that, Lord. Thank you that you are at work through your word by the Spirit. Uh, we ask for that this morning, to give us attentiveness, uh, focused minds and hearts uh, being renewed by your Spirit. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, most of us will have uh, some areas of life or interest uh, that we are particularly passionate about. Uh, maybe there's uh, two or three areas in our lives. Uh, maybe you're one of those freakish people who is just passionate about everything. Um, but maybe you're a little bit more normal and you have just a couple of things that you, you love to think about, uh, you love to talk about. You love to spend your time focused on. Uh, maybe for you, it's your job. Maybe you're in this really blessed position that your passion is also your work. 
you love to think about it and you love to go to work every day and you love to talk about your job to other people. Uh, maybe for you, it's a particular sport. Uh, you know all of, the, all of the players, all of the games. You, you know all the statistics. You, you read the blogs and you, you, you comment on them as well. And maybe for you, it's every sport. You just can't get enough of it. Just bring it on. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's, it's a hobby. Uh, maybe it's your garden. But all of us have these things in our lives, and we, we can tell that we've got them because, well, we think about them all the time, don't we? There's a spare moment in the day, and that's where our mind goes. There's a pause and a conversation, and we, we slip in our, our, our favorite hobby, our, our thing that we are passionate about. Now, I know that, that some of you are waiting for me to, to, to drop the hammer and say, well, it's wrong. <laughs> you, sh- you shouldn't have this, but I'm not, not going to do this. Maybe, maybe it is wrong, but maybe it isn't. But I, I want us this morning to be thinking about something that should be a passion and a longing and a desire for every single follower of Jesus. In fact, it should be the passion, the interest, the desire that stands above all others and actually gives shape to all the other things in our lives. Something that we all have in common. And that is a single-minded passion and desire to know the Lord Jesus Christ more and deeper. A focus to know him and to love him and to serve him. You see, in this passage that we've got in front of us this morning, we're really carrying on from where we were last week, where Paul unpacked these two confidences that we can have. The confidence in the flesh, the the things that we do, the things that we accomplish, which he calls false, which which he says it brings no confidence whatsoever, or confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Through faith in him, we're made right with God. And he, he began to say that, well, if this is true, then, then I want to know Christ and to gain Christ above everything else. I, I, I want to know him, and he said in verse 11, know him and the, the power of his resurrection, that I might share in his sufferings and in his death, that I may somehow possible means may attain the resurrection of the dead. You see, if we're saved in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, then nothing else comes even close to knowing him. Now, as this next section really continues on in that theme, and it it shows Paul's single-minded pursuit of that goal. And I I want to just have a look at verse 12 here, because I I think it sets the tone for for the rest of the passage. Have Have a look at what it says. It says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I I think there's three statements he makes here. The first one, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect. Second one, but I press on to make it my own. And the third one, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And in a sense, the rest of that section we've got in front of us this morning unpacks those three themes. That's not already obtained it, but we press on towards it because Christ has made us 
his own. And as we do this, we're going to be asked a very challenging question this morning. Is this, knowing Jesus more, is this the single most important thing in my life? That I long for and desire and I press on to and I pursue. Well, let's have a look at the first statement that we've got there in verse 12. That statement where he starts and he says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. It's restated if you have a look in your Bible there in verse 13 again. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Paul is saying there is something here that I haven't taken hold of yet completely. Something more that I, that I want to obtain. Something more that I am striving for. Something that I long to take hold of, but I'm not there yet. But in the rest of the passage, he reminds us that there is a day coming when that will be a reality. We are, he says in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. There's a day coming when we will have attained it completely. You see, right now, you and I, all of us, we are between two great moments in the great plan of God for the restoration of the world. We sit between two great days. The, the first great day is the, is the day of the cross and the resurrection. The day in which Christ made us his own. He, he grabbed hold of us. The day when our sins were forgiven. They were done away with on the cross through his sacrifice. And we were made a part of God's family. That, that's the one day. But we're sitting waiting for another day. The day when Jesus returns and he completes his kingdom work when we attain fully the salvation that is ours in Christ. We have been saved, but we don't yet have the full knowledge of Christ and his work. And so right now, Paul says, we live in this time of tension. A tension that comes from living in both this present age and in the age to come all at the same time. From having salvation in Christ but waiting for the full realization of it. And that tension means that the Christian life is going to be one of struggle, of having and yet waiting, of being given but still waiting to receive even more. It's a tension then that dominates our life while we wait for Jesus to return. Think about our struggle with sin. That's a struggle, isn't it? That's a, that's a hard thing in this time. Before Jesus, before him coming, before us knowing him, well, who cared about it? We could just go along and do whatever we wanted. We weren't too bothered by it. We could live whatever way we pleased. When Jesus returns, sin will be done away with for good. There will be no more temptation our lives, our, our spirits, our hearts will be, will be perfected and, and glorified forever. But now, now in the middle, that's a, that's a time of tension. We've been freed from the penalty of sin. 
The power of sin has been broken by the cross, but we, we struggle with temptation. We, we struggle with the flesh. Think about our, our place, our relationship with, with the world around us in this time. It's a time of tension. Before we knew Jesus, we could, we could go along with whatever there was. We, we could just be moved and swayed by whatever wind of the day and what, whatever was in, was, in, was in vogue. It didn't bother us much. And there will come a day when Jesus completes his work utterly and totally. All there will be is God's good creation and things to enjoy. But, but now, well, now we live in this time of tension. There, there are things that we, we simply can't go along with. Ways that we stand out as different in the world. Things that we're going to disagree with. Things that the world is going to disagree with us on. We live in this time of tension. Now, you might say, well, this all sounds very negative, and there's lots of negative things there, but I actually want to suggest this is a good thing for two reasons. Firstly, this is the time and this is the opportunity that God used to grow us. That's what we're going to come to next, but it's in this environment that God then is at work transforming our lives to be more like Christ. Now, there's great room in our lives for that, for that growth to occur. And the second reason why it's good is because it's the time for mission. It's the time for the good news of Jesus to go out so that all of God's people can hear it and respond to it and be drawn into his family forever. Yeah, it's a time of tension, but there's some, some good things that come out of it for God's people. All right, that's the first statement then. Not, not that I've already attained this. There's, there's something still to come, and we're, we're living in this time of tension. But let's move on to the second, where Paul says, but I press on to make it my own. That there is something that I haven't fully obtained, attained to, I'm not perfect, but I, I press on to grab a hold of this. Now, this statement really forms the bulk of what Paul goes on to say in this section. And he uses a number of words and images from the field of sports or athletics, really, to pull, to pull this out. J jump down and have a look at some of the words. I want to look focus on the end of verse 13 and the start of verse 14. Look what he says. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's just focus on a couple of the words there for a moment. See that phrase, straining forward? That, that's, a, that's a term from, from athletics uh, in the ancient world. It's got this idea that, that every single part of the athlete's body is, is focused on achieving that, that goal, getting towards the end of the race. Imagine if you had a 100-meter runner and they were, they were like, well, 100 meters, that's my legs. I, I, my hands are free. <laughs> I, I can check my messages. I can scroll through my, my feed for a moment. I don't really need my eyes. I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of take in the view as it's going past very slowly probably. Uh, but no, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? A 100-meter runner is straining forward. Every single part of their body and their focus is, is towards that finish line and putting in the effort. Paul says, that, that's what I'm about. He says, I'm straining forward. I, 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 one thing I do, 
he says. Not only that, but he says, I, I press on. Again, that word press on, that phrase is, a, is another athletics term. It's to move rapidly towards a goal, to move swiftly towards a finish line. You think about the sort of maybe the marathon runner who's halfway through their race and that they're tired and they're, they're exhausted and they wonder whether it's worth carrying on. They want to give up. It's, it's so much of a pain. But no, a marathon runner presses on, keeps going as fast as they can towards that finish line. I press on, he says, towards the goal. And again, that goal is, is like the finish line, the, the end point of a race for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. For that, for that moment when the, when the master of the race will, will, will call you forward and, and hand you your reward for a race well run. But Paul says, this is me in, in my pursuit to know the Lord Jesus more. One thing I do, singular focus, pressing forward, Everything aimed towards this. Pressing on, even though it's hard. And there's times where you want to give up and, and you get tired by it. Towards the goal. A finish line. The prize of the upward call of, Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. Now, we, we might ask just a brief question here. Um, what is actually the goal that, that Paul is, is straining for here? It, it it's kind of might be tempting to think of it as, as the end goal of glory, of heaven, when Jesus returns. But it's actually probably not quite it in this context. The goal was set by Paul in verses 10 and 11, just before. It's the goal of knowing Christ. And the power of his resurrection. Knowing Jesus and his work in our lives more and more. Knowing his work that leads us into sharing in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. Paul says, that's what I'm straining forward for. And he says, I, I want you, church, to follow in my footsteps. To imitate me. Have a look at what he says. Verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He says, you, you too. If, if your faith is in the Lord Jesus. If your confidence is in Christ. If you're right through faith in him. He says, I want you to walk this way as well. Or run this way. Straining forward. Now, I actually found this really helpful this week to think about. Um, to think about what Paul is saying here in terms of imitating him. I don't know about you, but I've often struggled when I've come to some of those autobiographical biographical passages that Paul writes about, where he writes about himself. I don't know about you, I sometimes feel a little bit uncomfortable uh, with them. But actually here, he's telling us why he does that. Because God has, has not just called him to be an apostle who gives God's word and with authority. 
He calls them to be an apostle who will be an example for the church to follow as he follows Jesus. God has actually given us the Apostle Paul and and parts of his life and parts of his focus and his, his struggles so that we will learn to imitate him as he walks in the steps of Jesus. Not only that, then, he he tells the church, he tells us, to keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. He says, watch out for other people who walk this way as well. Find examples of people who are pressing forward and who are straining forward, who, who, who are pressing on in the faith and follow in their footsteps as well. Many years ago, I met a guy whose job it was uh, to sell cooking pots. Um, he kind of would cold call, and then he would arrange an appointment to come around with his pots and pans, and he would sell them. The person that I was living with in a share house had arranged uh, for this to happen. And if there's a person who was passionate about something, it was this guy in his cooking pots. He was fanatical. I never thought about the quality of my cookware up until that moment. I probably haven't a lot since. Uh, but he was, you know, he was full on, like what they were made out of and how your food was cooked. And I thought the guy was a bit of a nutter to start with, uh, quite honestly. But you know, you know what happened? His passion for his pot started to rub off. <laughs> and I started to think about my cookware and like could not believe how badly I'd been cooking my food for years uh, because of the state of my cookware. It, Passion like that rubs off, doesn't it? You, you get someone who's, who's really into it, you, you get sucked in. Well, Paul says, take note, keep your eyes on people who have a passion to know Christ more. Learn from their example. Ha- have that passion rub off on you. Now, it gives a a reason, another reason why, in, 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 as he carries on there in verse 18, he says, because there are people around you for whom this is not their passion. Pe- people who don't walk according to this. Look at verse 18 and 19. He says, for many, as I've often told you and tell you now even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. He says, you're, you're surrounded by people who, who walk as enemies of the Lord Jesus. He says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. You see, it's possible, isn't it, that their passion rubs off. Their their God is their belly. They just, what's in it for me now? They glory in their shame. They glory glory in, in their shame. They take things that are shameful before God and they say they're wonderful. Their mindset on earthly things. Their end is destruction. Not knowing Christ. It's a bit of a challenge, isn't it, to think about the people who shape and influence our lives. Like what is their end? What's their finish line? Is it knowing Christ more and deeper? Or is it destruction? Are their minds set on Jesus, knowing his power and his resurrection and sharing in suffering and death? 
or, or is it set on the things of this earth? And Paul says, follow my example, imitate me. Take note of people who are passionate about following Jesus and, and walk after them. How can you tell who you're being influenced by? Well, it starts to show, doesn't it, in what we are passionate about and what we are focused on. The things that occupy our dreams and desires. Those loose moments of the day when we have nothing else to think about, where does our mind go? What are we praying for? For our lives and the lives of others. You see, if we belong to the Lord Jesus, and it's faith, if it's faith in him that saves us, if God has declared us righteous through him, then nothing else comes remotely close to knowing Jesus and knowing him more. Last statement, let's move on to that one. We can wrap up there. I press on to make this my own because, he says, Christ Jesus has made me his own. Why would we do this? Because through the cross, we belong to Christ. He's grabbed hold of our lives. He's transformed us from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. He's transferred us from having an eternity without him to having eternity with him. Our lives are secure in him for all time. He's, he's taken a hold of us. So Paul says, oh, I, I strive to take hold of him, to know him more. And ultimately, we will be raised by him, have our lowly bodies, as he says in verse 21, transformed by him into his glorious body. Compared to those who are living for now and heading towards destruction, Paul says we are, we are citizens of heaven already. Our lives have been taken hold of and, and will never be let go. And so he says, take hold of your Savior. Hold on to him with whatever you have. And whatever the cost is now, it's worth it because Jesus has taken hold of you. Whatever it demands of us now in the light of what Jesus has done and eternity, it's worth the price. Whatever other passions and desires need to fall by the wayside, for this one, it's worth it. Whatever it, however it puts us out of step with other people in the world, it's worth it. Like the athlete who says no to junk food and late nights and parties and says yes to an early morning start and extra training and struggle, 
so too for the person who's been taken hold of by Jesus. It's worth whatever he asks of us. Let's pray to him, shall we? Lord, we thank you that you have taken hold of us so so completely and utterly that our lives now belong fully to you. Thank you that we have had our lives washed clean and made new. And thank you that we have an eternal hope, knowing that you will return one day to take us to yourself. Lord God, we confess that so often, too often, our passion and our desire, our focus is on earthly things. Things that don't matter and don't last. Lord, give us that single-minded focus. Help every part of our church, our lives, our families strain forward to know you and to know you more. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to finish with these words in Hebrews 10. Carrying on from what we read earlier, it says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen.